Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inspiring You Show, where we talk about tips and tools for healing, share transformational stories, and offer energy healing meditations. I'm Henry, and I'm a Reiki and dowsing energy healer, mindfulness, mindfulness meditation, and Kundalini yoga and meditation teacher. So the COVID-19 pandemic has left many of us with a great deal of uncertainty, uncertainty about how contagious the virus is and about the best way to treat it. Uncertainty about how long our personal immunity will last after we get infected and when a vaccine will be developed. Uncertainty about the future of the economy and questions about jobs, schools, and uncertainty about how long schools will be shut down, what's going to happen with ourselves, our businesses, our schools, families, friends, communities, and our way of living. In the midst of so much uncertainty, we naturally look for something firm to hold on to. I hold on to my tools and reach for them again and again. I understand at this point that if I'm diligent about my energy healing, meditation, and breath practice, I can release non-beneficial energies and find steadiness within, and the extraordinary disruption and anxiety on the outside world may deflect off of my energy field, and my own groundedness may remain intact. However, if I'm swayed, which can happen because I'm also living a human experience, I reach for the tools again and again to find alignment and balance. And there are many tools that I've been using to support my overall, my overall well-being during the safer at home time. One of them is Kundalini Yoga and Meditation. So today we will be talking about the benefits of Kundalini Yoga and Meditation. We will finish with a breathing meditation that can support not only you, but your family. This means your children as well. I invited Amrit Singh Khalsa to share his experience and walk us through the basics of all things Kundalini. He is a Kundalini Yoga teacher trainer and the CEO of KRI, Kundalini Research Institute. He earned his PhD in aeronautical engineering from MIT and went to work for Yogi Tea Company right after college. From there, Amrit worked for another 10 years with the entire family of Kundalini Yoga businesses and nonprofit organizations. In 2007, Amrit moved to Los Angeles and worked as an executive in the natural food industry. During that time, he also taught yoga and served on Kari's board of directors. In 2017, Amrit left the health food industry and began working full-time for the Kundalini Research Institute, where he's now CEO. Satnam Amrit, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So how are you doing? How is your heart with what's going on these days? You know, luckily, me and my family are all doing very well. Um, and though, like you said, uh, I also am concerned about uh, our communities, you know, our countries, our, our planet uh, with so much going on. So I am simultaneously very grateful and feeling well myself, but also concerned. And presently, you're in the Netherlands. Correct? Yes, I live in the south of the Netherlands now, yeah. So how has it been for you? Because I feel um, that, you know, everyone's having, even though we might be in this experience in the world together, we're all having it in different ways, the experience. So how is it for you? Um, well, uh, like I said, luckily, my family and I are, are healthy. Um, my daughter uh, lives in Hawaii, so we had some, she goes to school there, so we had some uh challenging family times of uh, how to be together or being apart. But, um, you know, that all that all worked out. Um, and like you said, you pull on or rely on 
know, your practices to stay centered. Uh, I'm totally the same way that if I read too much news, um, you know, it can get overwhelming. It can feel depressing. You know, it's so easy to feel powerless, you know. Um, so I am also totally relying on my daily practice to keep positive and uh, energized and focused. And in terms of your daughter, did she end up going back to the Netherlands or did she stay in Hawaii? Um, yeah, so I ended up staying with her for a little while and then we both came back to the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, this was back um, in uh, March. You know, we didn't know if her school was going to be stopping or starting or moving online. We didn't know if people would be allowed into the U.S. or out of the U.S. You know, it was such a uncertain time. Um, we, we really felt like we were having to make some big decisions for our family without knowing very much. And were you already in Hawaii or did you fly there? No, uh, um, I flew there on a, on one day notice to, to be there with her while her school was figuring out what they were going to do. Yeah. And, I ended up um, being there for seven weeks. <laughs> wow. So, so it has, I mean, and that's, you know, talk about the uncertainty and the uh, change of plans, if you will. And so during that time, um, well, actually, let's talk about Kundalini. Let's start with the basics. Like, what is Kundalini yoga and meditation? Well, you know, to us, um, the Kundalini energy would be the energy of awareness. So Kundalini yoga and meditation are these practices that we do that help us cultivate, you know, our body to be healthy, our minds to be strong and resilient and centered and neutral, and uh, us having a feeling of connection between our body, mind, and spirit that we can really feel um, whole and, um, and complete in and of ourselves. So um, in short, Kalini Yoga um, is a whole set of practices, physical and breathing and meditative, that um, help us experience an increased sense of awareness, right? so self-awareness. And they talk about it being a technology. Can you explain that part? Like they often talk sometimes there's more of a scientific technology to it. So what does that mean in terms of Kundalini? You know, that means that it really doesn't matter what you believe, right? It's not um, a philosophy. It's not a religion like, oh, okay, if you believe this, then this happens. It's just saying, hey, if you move like this, breathe like this, it's, you know, chant or do these things, it's going to have an effect. Um, I, know I, I sometimes think of them as uh, life hacks, right? That's like kind of a, a phrase these days, like, um, you know, there's uh, little little tips, little little tricks that, oh, you know, if I, if I do this, it'll make my life better. And they just work. So to me, these practices that we do um, are things that have been found out um, experientially, experimentally. People saying, well, what if I do this? What do I experience in my own self if I do this or this or this? And then those have been taught and passed down. So to me, calling it a technology means it doesn't matter if you believe it or it doesn't or you don't. It just is effective. It works. And how long has Kundalini been around? Well, if you think of um, really the goal of all yoga is to raise your awareness, right? So you could say that um, it might have been called other things, but this practice of trying to raise your kundalini or become self-aware has been the focus of spiritual practices for probably millennium. The, what we practice 
was really started to be taught openly, especially here in the West, at least in 1969. And it comes from India? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the practices mostly in, in the north of India. Mm-hmm. And so when I first dived into practicing Kundalini, there was a language that on a human level, I had no idea even existed. And I love languages. So I was really intrigued by this foreign language that most people seem to know and were using with such ease and grace. And so in the Kundalini community, they use the phrase Sat Nam. And you may hear people use this instead of saying hello. So for example, when I greeted you today, I said Sat Nam Amrit. So can you explain what Sat Nam is? Yeah, sure. Um, so the words themselves, what they translate as, sat would mean truth, but like a capital T truth or a universal truth. And nam would be uh, kind of like my identity, um, kind of naming like this is who I am. So um, we use sat nam very frequently in the Kalini practice, um, sometimes as part of meditations, um, as a way to um, focus our minds on oh, wait, let me remember who am I really? Or let me try to remember or feel into that space of who am I, what's my ultimate truth? So when we use it as a greeting, um, it's kind of, it's like reminding one another, like, hey, my highest self is greeting your highest self. I am trying to remember and remind you as well that um, what we really are is, a capital T truth. And if we can stay remembering that and if we can act from that place, then we'll be going to be um, happier and more effective people. I really love it. And sometimes um, if I'm having a moment of non-remembrance, if you will, I will start chanting to myself, Sat Nam, Sat Nam, and really connecting into, you know, truth is my identity because I'm trying to shift from something that I'm feeling in my reality is real, but as we know that you can clear it and connect into, as you said, you know, your higher self. And so I'll just start chanting Satnam, Satnam to myself um, to sort of awakening myself to that possibility of the truth of really who I am. So I think it's really beautiful. And can you explain, so Satnam is also known as a seed mantra. So what is a seed mantra, and then what are mantras? Yeah, well, um, let me start. Well, mantra in general um, would be something that can um, contain or help project your mind. Right? So it's a tool that can you can use to work with your mind. Back to my analogy of the technology of Kundalini Yoga being like a, a life hack. Um, you, know, you could kind of read... Uh, these mantras as philosophy, right? Oh, you know, truth is my identity. What a nice flowery phrase. What a nice idea or concept. But if it stays at that intellectual level, it doesn't really change your life, right? It doesn't really affect things. But when you actually use it as a tool, like you said, you chant it, you know, out loud or silently or use it in a practice, it actually does shift your mind, shift your awareness so that you can have the actual experience of your truth. So then it, it shifts it from philosophy or a concept into an experience that you can have. 
So that's why we say it's a tool, right? And so that is what mantras are. There's many, many mantras in many different languages, um, but they would all have this quality to them where the, the sound, um, the way that you would pronounce it or move your mouth to it um, would have an impact in your mind and how you think, how you view the world. Um, so so it, a, a mantra would be word or words that give you a, a predictable shift in your mental state. So um, a, a seed mantra uh, generally would be something that's short and um, would be a, a specific kind of mantra that is helping to, um, if you imagine kind of your, your, your mental field, to plant a seed of this sense of vastness in there that can then um, grow from there so that it has um, more longer term possible impacts. So there's many, many mantras. Not all of them would be considered a seed mantra where with using them, it can help um, create more of that long-term change. And so with that, I'll give you an experience, um, an example so that everyone kind of understands. So when I first went into uh, my first Kundalini class in Los Angeles, I hadn't been at that point um I had never chanted before. And so I grew up going to, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. And so, you know, I, I prayed and I talked to God, but I had never, and I sang, but I'd never chanted. And so it was really interesting because the first time um, I was chanting, I had a moment of a uh, limited belief came in, like, this is wrong. This is against, you know, my religion. And I had a moment of like, really but i'm actually feeling better and i started noticing an actual shift in my emotional and my mental and my physical body that was telling me that something was happening that was highly beneficial for me where i noticed my monkey mind started releasing and the story that this essentially false story from a limited belief that was being held up that was talking to myself was starting to be released through the chanting and then just the chanting vibration. It just really, um, I'm an empath. And so oftentimes I can feel things vibrationally in a very clear way. And so the chanting also helped me in a way clear out my energy field that I hadn't experienced before. And from that, I took my takeaway was like, wow, something's really happening here, which goes back to us talking about it, how it's a technology and that it's a tool. And so from there, almost kind of like in a scientific way, I was experimenting on myself going, wait, I'm feeling better for in a good way. So let me continue down this path, which yeah. is amazing, right? No, that's a great story, and I, I hope someday we will have some um, Western science that backs up all of these personal experiences. But um, what you're saying is how many people experience it, and uh, it's not, in my opinion, mantras, like I said, are not um, religious. They're not attached to, oh, we're trying to make you Hindu, or many of the mantras that we use come from the Sikh faith. But they're not 
trying to make you believe what Sikhs believe. They're not trying to make anyone a Sikh. They're, again, just technology that works. Making these sounds just changes our state and can help make you a better Christian or a better Buddhist or even a better atheist. Um, my story with Satnam is uh, in one of my one of my very first um, yoga teachers uh, said something you know, talking about like going through a challenge. I mean, I think it's really especially true these days where there's so much fake news, right? And you're not sure what to believe, right? You know, you hear this and then the opposite, and um, it's hard to tell what to believe. So he he was telling a story in his own life of having to make some, let's say, challenging uh, ethical choices or life choices. And he said, you know, um, I've meditated enough with Satnam that I know what my highest truth feels like, like just kind of like in my body, in my in my senses. Um, and so he had a reference point for what does truth feel like, because the space that he would get into the the mental and physical energetic space he would get into when he would meditate on Satnam is the space of your highest truth. And if you practice that over time and you can get used to, oh, that's what that feels like. And then that can be a reference so that when you need to make choices in your life, you know, do I take this job or not? You know, do I marry this person or not? There's so many hard choices. <laughs> What's true? Um, it, it, you have a, now a reference point. So I, that his statement that he used that has stuck with me for, you know, 25 plus years. And I um, uh, come back to it when I have tough choices, like, oh, let me remember if I've forgotten, what does this feel like? What is my truth? And how does this situation line up with that? Right. It's my, I use it as a measurement, as a way to tell. Because essentially when you are making the choices that are seemingly difficult or you feel like you don't have a choice, which you could be in powerlessness, it is then in utilizing the satnam and connecting into the inner stillness to vibrate to your connection to your higher self. Everything else, like the difficulty then can be allowed to fall away and then the choice can be made clear and it can seem almost then effortless when you're in your flow. Would you say that that is an experience that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when I first started, I was in college and um, I guess I had a <clears throat> totally naive view of sort of spirituality or what I thought yoga would give me, you know, oh, self-awareness is going to be some kind of huge spiritual experience and I'm going to like see lights and, you know, all sorts of <laughs> big, big experiences. Um, and, and yet I find it's much more like what you just described. It's it's a um, it's a sense of being in the flow and being able to tell the difference between, you know what, this is a thought I'm having or a feeling I'm feeling. And I, I can feel it and just recognize it as a part of me, but know that it's not all of me, right? All of me is a capital T truth. And that just that ability to step back a little bit and expand, boom, right there. That's expanded awareness. That's Kundalini is I can have the awareness that I'm not just my thoughts. I'm not, I'm more than just my feelings or what I'm feeling in that moment. And then I can make better choices because um, I'm in that flow, not, not a flow from hopefully not a flow from my subconscious needs and desires, not a flow from old habits, but a, a flow from my whole beingness. So beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. 
And I, something I practice when I'm noticing the monkey mind or the thoughts that are not the capital truth of who I am, I will, once I start catch, I call it catching myself. Once I catch myself going down that rabbit hole of monkey minding, mm -hmm. I will then connect into um, chanting something. I'll say either satnam, satnam, or an intention, my intention for the day, or affirmation, because I, I kind of look at it as you know, you can become present in your physical space, and much like a car where you would be directing your car if you're turning the steering wheel left or right, I need to then recenter myself and let myself know which direction in the future I want to go, which means then becoming in that space of present of, you know, acknowledging the monkey mind and then using the chanting, a mantra or affirmation or intention to shoot the direction for the future. Right. That's perfect. I like that's a great description. And and I would just add when when it's really hard to shift your monkey mind, like when you're, you're just really deep into it, you know, you're super stressed, like you just lost your job or, you know, your your, your partner just left you. Like so a lot of times we get in some really intense situation and you're like, I should just calm down. Or I need to just stop my mind from going and going and going. But those are the, the, the times when it's the most hard. So I find the physical yoga that we do and rhythmic, powerful breathing using the physical body and then moving into, say, chanting and meditating um, makes it much more likely that I can, let's say, redirect the monkey mind. Does that make sense? Like, you know, so in small ways, I can train my mind, small disruptions, small um going off track but when it's really um, one of those bigger ones um, oftentimes the mind isn't sort of let's say strong enough or trained enough to control your own mind oh i should stop worrying i should stop worrying you know it doesn't work sometimes so in those times when your mind just can't stop itself the body can and that's where the physical yoga is so powerful and effective also and so they make a great combination absolutely because um, I don't think I really understood until I started practicing how much um, just energies can get stuck in your physical body without you even being conscious of it. And so the physical act of the yoga, then it just starts to, you know, so say if I had some kind of a, um, uh, some kind of a pain in my neck and, and I went to a chiropractor, but yet it was still there. And then all of a sudden I went to a Kundalini class and we did some move to clear out the energy. And then all of a sudden my neck felt better. And I hadn't even realized that there was an energy blockage in my neck and the combination with the yoga, as well as with the meditation, then allowed me to be more in alignment of the flow. That's been my yeah. experience in many times, yeah. many ways. So let's exactly. talk about what are the benefits of this practice and why should we practice kundalini yoga? Oh, wow. There's so many. Um, if you start off with the physical level, right, I and mean, practicing any form of yoga is, is good for your physical body. Um, we have practices, some even get aerobic and, and, you know, working out physically. But a lot of our practices um, will work more on the nerves and the glands. 
right? So we having a strong nervous system and a balanced glandular system helps us um, be more resilient, handle stress better, have a stronger immune system, um, things like that. Um, there are some specific yoga sequences that also help with digestion and other specific, let's say, um, you know, physical issues. So practicing yoga is physically healthy um, and keeps us limber and strong and and uh, resilient. Uh, then in the in the mental and emotional realm, um, probably the most common benefit I would hear from students who start practicing regularly is they get more, let's say, calm, neutral, less reactive. And that's that, and that's usually noticed not just by them but by their family members and their coworkers. So many stories like, oh man, you know, I've been practicing for a year now, and you know, my my family or my coworkers are like. You don't freak out like you used to. You're just so much calmer. You know, we want some of what you have. Um, so in the mental emotional realm, like we were talking about, like you just have such a, a better sense of center. You know? So you can also be more intuitive, um, more sensitive, but, but not oversensitive, right? Sometimes we get in, especially in our crazy world, if you're, if you're overly sensitive or too open, right? Sometimes you can feel. Uh, attacked or bombarded or, or dragged off center by other energies outside you. So the, the Kundalini practice will often help people be sensitive, but also feel balanced enough or protected enough that they don't get um, pulled off from their sensitivity. Um, my, what I feel with from what I is that neutrality, you know, that less reactive, less irritated, just more able to kind of go with the flow um, handle what life is going to throw me, you know, challenges and, and uh, gifts at the same time. And then the, the final benefit for those who are looking for it is, let's say, a spiritual component. Um, you know, just that that feeling of wholeness, that connection to higher self, you know, um, is I, I didn't even when I started, I wasn't looking for that. I didn't even believe such a thing existed. And, you know, finding that and having that experience for myself you know, has been one of the most enriching things in my life. So I feel the Kundalini Yoga practice helps us physically, uh, mentally, and spiritually. And it's interesting because I've also um, been a witness to, you know, at that time when I started, I was working 18-hour days, seven days a week a lot of times. And um, so my nervous system was, you know, feeling a bit raw. And I really noticed how my nervous system started strengthening, um, anxiety started releasing, and my ability for um, my breath capacity started really expanding. And I was able to then be in more relaxation, even though I was still in the same, you know, flow of work in terms of, you know, some of the hours I was putting in. And I really contributed to just, you know, becoming dedicated and more have a having a practice of the yoga with the meditation. Yeah. At, we we um, always say that Kundalini Yoga was meant for, we call it householders, you know, basically for people with families and jobs. It, it was not taught or meant for people who just live off in a cave and just want to you know, sit and meditate away from the world. Um, so it, it works pretty fast. And, uh, Part of how it works is exactly like you described. You know, it let, gives you the tools to thrive in our challenging world, in challenging jobs, in challenging family situations. So we don't try to 
um, avoid or eliminate life's challenges. We try to strengthen ourselves so that we know we can face it no matter what life's going to bring us. So what is a Kundalini class like and how is it different from vinyasa or hatha yoga? Um, well, a typical class, um, we always start by having a tune-in, we say, right? We use a specific mantra that the class chants together three times, which is consolidates and creates a group energy and tunes everyone in to the, their own higher self and as a group. Um, then there's, there'll be some physical set of exercises and, and breathing. Sometimes there'll be some warm-ups or you know, some breathing as a warm-up. Um, a relaxation period, right, where you can lay down and just deeply relax and let everything go, let it integrate, and a meditation. So those three components of some sort of physical exercises, relaxation and meditation, are pretty much going to be found in every yoga class. Um, and how would it be different than some of the, say, hatha yoga or vinyasa? Um, I, my experience is that our practices, our classes, will tend to um, focus less on posture and more on rhythmic motion and breathing, which I think... Um, pushes the emphasis in the nervous system and the glandular system rather than the the muscles and the, the skeletal system. They have the same goal, right? They, all yogas have the same goal of being healthy and balanced and connected. Um, but we will tend to use breathing, rhythmic motion, and we use chanting more than some of those classes would too. So when I walked into my first Kundalini class 12 or more years ago, I didn't really know what was going on and um, it was so different than like a power yoga class that I had gone to. Uh, I had noticed and observed that there were a lot of people wearing white and I had a moment like, oh my God, I, did I not know how to dress? <laughs> I'm like, what is happening here? So if somebody walks into a Kundalini class and has never taken a class, you know, what would make it easier for them and, you know, what should they understand and know? Well, um, I would say that we have a holistic view of the practice that goes beyond just the yoga class. You know, that that yoga traditionally has had been a lifestyle. Um, the traditional yoga texts like Patanjali Sutras talked about yamas and niyamas, kind of like do's and don'ts for you know, living. Um, so uh, it's common, but not required, uh, that people wear white in a Kundalini yoga class because um, it's one of the ways that we sort of enhance the practice and, and help the, the energy um, affect us more strongly and powerfully. But it's, it's optional. Um, we also um, encourage, especially people when they teach, to cover their head. Um, again, not as a religious thing, but part of the technology of um, in teaching these classes there's a lot of energy that's created and moving and it is important for how that all works for you as a teacher and between you the teacher and the, the class uh, when you can cover your head so um, sometimes yeah our classes will look different um, but uh, yeah, I hope people don't feel uh, off put by them and again it's there uh, people can come in and wear whatever they want to wear and cover their head or not. 
So it was interesting when I, I did my teacher training last year and I just finished up right before we uh, went into Safer at Home. And when I started covering my head more regularly, I did notice that, you know, how just in terms of, uh, you know, the connection and, you know, how white amplifying your aura and then also just protective, it's the protective electromagnetic field emanating from your heart, how it's just the connection and helping you develop your sensory self and, and in terms of your energy and awareness. And also just, you know, I um, experienced putting on a turban a few times, which at first I felt, you know, I felt a little bit like, huh, this is interesting, but because it was <laughs> a new experience to me, <laughs> right? But I did notice that it was it's almost like a cranial sacral adjustment, and it's just more about aligning and and connecting into your energy field and supporting you. So when you are doing, you know, some of these meditations or moving through the teaching process, you know, it can just support you being in alignment and a higher connection to yourself. Yeah, again, uh, very well said. And, and it, to me, it's part of the technology, right? Not a belief or a philosophy. Um, when I first started and I started teaching in um, probably early 1991, something like that. And, oh, I was taught in my teacher training, okay, you should cover your head when you teach. So I did. And, whoa, I could totally feel a difference if I had my head covered and when I didn't. And nowadays, you know, I, I'm now a, a Sikh, and so I have my head covered all the time, or, well, not all the time, every day I, I have my head covered. But, like, when I don't, you know, if I have to take a shower or I'm at the beach swimming and have my hair down or something, like, okay, it's not, like, bad or wrong, but it feels different, right? It, it just has an effect that I can feel and sense. So um, there is a technology behind this as a recommended part of the practice. And let's talk about your backstory. You went to MIT, and how did you find your way to Kundalini? You were studying at the time, um, getting a PhD in aeronautical engineering. Well, at the time, I was actually still an undergraduate um, there, and uh, we needed a certain amount of uh, gym credit, you know, physical education classes, and. Uh, I didn't know what to take, and one of my fraternity brothers suggested, "Oh, you know, try this yoga thing." Um, so I took I took that, you know, seven week class, and um, yeah, I didn't really even like it very much. But when we did those those deep relaxations that I mentioned are part of every class, um, I almost would have a sort of like an out of body experience. I'd be like, "Whoa, that's weird," or I, you know, I was probably like, "Oh, that's so cool and trippy, man," or whatever I was saying at the time. Um, but it was interesting enough that I took it again. So I did another seven week class. And then that time I felt a little bit more, you know, I started to feel some energy in my spine or I remember very clearly we did a core, a, a, a sequence that the teacher said, okay, this is going to work on the digestive system. And the next day I totally felt it. Like I, I, my, my digestion was working differently. So I kept having like, oh, wow, well, maybe there is something more to this. So even though I wouldn't get credit for it for a third time, I took it a third time. And then I get fourth and I kept taking it. So uh, from that one gym class that I signed up for and enjoyed laying down and relaxing, I just kept going. And going. 
Oh, I didn't. I think it cut out for a second. Oh, there you are. Um, that's that's so interesting. I love that it was a fraternity brother that <laughs> that mentioned well, it to you. And I love that you said like, you know, hey, hey, dude, go try this class. And you're like, wait, what is it? All right, I'll try it. De- destiny calls in all sorts of different ways, right? <laughs> Which is amazing. And so it almost sounds from your how you um, shared the story, almost like you were doing a, a science experiment on you. And you have, obviously, you were interested in science because were you studying aeronautical engineering as an undergrad yeah. as well? Yeah. And, I mean, luckily, the the man who was teaching that class, you know, spoke in a language that I could relate to, let's say. Like if I had gone to a, a class where the teacher talked all about the chakras and the angels coming down and, and, you know, feeling the sacred energy in my heart, I probably would have been like, yeah, this is not for me and never come back. Um, but the teacher talked about, well, this is a technology and, you know, here's how it works. And if you do this, this will happen. You know, like, I don't know, he just spoke in a way that like made sense and he encouraged us to experiment on ourselves. Just like you said, like, you know, it, it's not about, I remember very clearly, he said, it's not about what you believe. It's about, can you become believable? So can we change ourselves so that we're so authentic and aligned that people trust us? Um, and he encouraged, yeah, so try this out. You know, the yogis say it does this. Well, does it? Go go see. So it, it was viewed as, yeah, a technology, and I took it that way. Like, let me experiment on myself. And I kept having more and more and more experiences that, oh, yeah, um, that was right. And, okay, yeah, now I've experienced that for myself that I – became, you know, just more and more open to um, even things that perhaps I haven't personally experienced yet. I'd be like, well, that's probably true because I've experienced all these other things. That's so interesting because I I had similar experiences where I went in and I had moments of like, does this really work? And I'll give you one. I um, had gone out for New Year's and the next day I went to a Kundalini class where they focused on cleansing the liver and <laughs> I had had a few you know I had a few drinks the night before and as I was doing the you know certain postures I was like wow I could feel myself literally detoxing my liver and I walked out of there feeling a completely different person and it was amazing it is kind of like doing science experiments on yourself to shift from being in one place and then all of a sudden shifting and feeling lighter and more centered and just feeling better. And that's how I kept saying is like, oh, I feel better. That's interesting. And not um, not weighing anything else on it. Just, oh, that's curious. I feel better. Huh. You know, <laughs> yeah. what happens if I go try another class? How am I going to feel after that? Is Something's happening here. So for you, though, you were obviously on a certain path at MIT, which I find very interesting in terms of, you know, you studied aeronautical engineering as an undergrad, and then also you went on to get your PhD. You know, did you feel like you were going to, you know, go forth in aeronautical engineering? You know, what kind of happened to, you know, transition your life to the path that you're on now? Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I guess I, I was thinking, yeah, I would do something in aeronautical engineering. Um, toward the end of my uh, PhD, I was kind of sick of it, though, or at least sick of research. So I was really thinking, well, what, maybe go into the business side 
right, of aeronautics or project management. Um, actually, two friends of mine in grad school, we actually started a web company. Uh, that's probably 1995, I think, 94, 95. Um, so I, I was kind of like, eh, what else do I want to do? You know, something a little different. Um, and so uh, when I got out, um, my wife actually worked for the Yogi Tea Company um, out in Oregon. Um, and so through that connection, I went and started work with a PhD in aeronautical engineering as the uh, IT manager for the Yogi Tea and the, and the cereal company that was called Golden Temple Natural Products. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was actually happy to transition into sort of the business world. And um, I have been there since I graduated in 1996 um, in various businesses and, and nonprofits. And then, uh, like you said in the introduction, kind of teaching yoga mostly on the side there until I, I find it um, interesting how your story dots can connect without even you realizing. So <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd love to know how. So you obviously, did you meet your wife um, from the Kundalini community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you met your wife from the Kundalini community. She's working at Yogi Tea, and you had then gone through the process of studying um, aeronautical engineering. And, you know, in that process, you know, you were changing in terms of who you were yesterday to, you know, connecting into your more authentic self. So how did you then, you know, how is it now though? um, Or do you feel like you use any of your background of aeronautical engineering to apply it as a CEO now in terms of Kundalini Research Institute? Um, You know, the, I wouldn't say, the specific training of aeronautical engineering, right? The studying of um, my, my thesis was on the aerodynamics inside aircraft engines, which I don't use now. Um, but in my PhD work, it, that, it really, really changed me a lot because up until that point, I had just gotten really good at school. Like, oh, I can do this assignment and I'll do what they tell me to and get good grades. And um, Working on a PhD, you know, my professors were like, well, you have to become one of us. Like, you have to drive the research. You have to figure out what's needed and then tell us. And we're here to support you, but we don't tell you what to do. And that took me, like, at least a year, if not longer, to, like, get that. Like, that was revolutionary to me. And and that, so learning kind of how to um, take ownership, let's say, of a project, right, and push it forward. That I use all the time as an executive. Um, the other really important thing I learned uh, getting my PhD is um, how to um, be, be passionate, let's say, without being attached. Um, we would have a small research meetings and I would observe, I'd watch these professors. There was like three professors and three students. And sometimes they would get these heated arguments about you know, some equation or some data result. And even after you know ten minutes of, of sort of arguing, even if it was a student who would make a point, and the senior professor, the head of the department, would go, "Oh, okay, you're right," and boom, and move on. Um, and I also use that a lot all the time too. Um, that that um, it's it's a well, it's like not taking the arguments personally. It's focusing on well, you know what what's true or what what's going to um, be most helpful. Um, in a situation, if that makes any sense. So those are the two that stick out to me a lot that I, I 
really am grateful I went through and got that PhD. It does. And it also, um, you know, I, I was an executive producer in television for many years and worked in the field for 20 years. So I'm always looking for the story dots to connect. And as you were sharing your experience, you when you started talking about the research and how, you know, your professors were encouraging you to really go within yourself and find what you're curious about and follow that and find the research and go there. And what's interesting now is you're the CEO of the Kundalini Research Institute. Yeah. And <laughs> and part of what I feel like is so interesting about Kundalini and the technology is really, you know, you know, you did your paper, your thesis paper on what did you say it was again? The yeah, aerodynamics inside aircraft engines. So in some ways, though, isn't Kundalini the aerodynamics inside your physical, mental, emotional bodies? Well, yeah, you could say it's the uh, how to make your, your life more efficient, right? Okay, instead of making aircraft engines more efficient, it's, it's studying it's, yeah, yeah, where, where so do I, the blockages come in our life and how do we mitigate that? And in some ways, um, I feel like, you know, Somebody, when you're looking, when you're thinking about science or engineering, it's really about, you know, looking at something and how does it work, taking it apart, putting it back together to become more efficient. And in some ways, I look at Kundalini as opportunities for, it's like taking yourself apart to put yourself back together to be more efficient. So you are living in more an effortless way. Yeah, and and I do hope also at some point that the you know, the research moves beyond, and there's little bits that have happened already beyond the self research, the self experimentation, and and start to get some some more Western validation for these practices, um, because our assumption and many 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 people's personal experiences, yeah, you do this and it works, it shifts your state, it makes these changes. Well, let's let's work on documenting those. Then more and more people will be open to try it. Which is interesting, too, because, um, you know, in terms of for me, if I had a teacher, my first Kundalini teacher was more science based. I'm not sure I would have been like as interested, but I'm much more called to like talking about divine design or angels, if you will. So that right. was one of my first teachers, more <laughs> about the divine design. But I do think it's interesting, as you've shared your story, it's like divine design. I look at it, and I don't know if you'd consider divine design of, you know, being placed where you need to be and learning all these different tools to then ultimately end up where you need to be with these tools. Because, you know, as the CEO of Kundalini Research Institute, and you've mentioned the intention a few times in terms of, you know, connecting more into the Western world of bringing more of the, you know, scientific research to the forefront. You know, someone like me who's interested in story and story dots connection and divine design, I may not be the perfect fit for a CEO to bring data forward in the Western world scientific way, but you with your story background of, you know, coming from all these years of working at 
of being a student at MIT and learning and growing and expanding and understanding the science base and being able to connect it to that data, you have a different wherewithal than, than like I do based on, you know, your interest in your flow of life. So it's like, I look at this amazing, like divine design, like, wow, are you actually exactly where you need to be? And do you feel that way? Um, absolutely. I feel that way. And that's part of what helps me kind of relax even when things are tough, right? To know that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And to me, that's also partly the um, habit that I've developed of using that vibration of Satnam in how I run my life. Um, you know, the, the various zigs and zags that it's taken, they all feel perfect. And um, just most recently, like in three years ago, when I decided to leave Los Angeles and um, leave one whole career and shift completely um, because it felt right. And part of it in the moment that decision feels right leads to feeling and knowing I'm in the, where, in the right place and where I'm supposed to be. And when you feel that way, it's so much easier to um, you know, face any challenges that come. So speaking of facing any challenges, you mentioned early in this conversation about going to Hawaii and um, spending seven weeks there. What were the practices that and tools you reached for while you were in Hawaii to support what you were moving through in terms of the first moments of going through the pandemic? Um you know, to to me, it was a lot of, well, back to these words we've used a lot already in this conversation of neutrality, right? With When there's a lot of fear and uncertainty, I, and I feel my mind, you know, trying to jump or leap into um, those directions, you know, um, fear, right? Fear is a big one that can kind of grab us and hold on tight. So I found, found myself turning to... Um, a lot of uh, like breath meditations to help me really feel calm, centered, and neutral. Um, yeah, those are the main ones that I was turning to. So I would love to um, talk some more about the breath meditation. And I know you said that you would guide us through. Um, but before we do that, I just want to talk about Kundalini Research Institute. You know, what is Kundalini Research Institute and um, what do you have to offer there for people? Yeah, well, um, the organization has been around since 1972 and has gone through um, different, let's say, areas of focus. Um, so where we are right now, um, we run a global teacher training school. So like you said, you recently took a teacher training. Well, that was a, a KRI course. So um we have a, a global set of standards for the curriculum. We have a textbook that's translated into 10 languages with several others underway. Um, and we have a, an academy of teacher trainers of how we uh, mentor and train people to um, present those teacher training courses. So there are um, over 4,000 new teachers certified in Kalini Yoga each year around the world. Um, so that's a big part of what we do is we run this global teacher training school. Um, we also um, have publications, books and CDs and DVDs. Um, and 
an online uh, website with lots of resources um, for people who want to practice and um, have books. You know, some are yoga books with actual sequences of exercises and meditations they can do, and others are uh, more, say, philosophical, or there's some cookbooks, Indian cooking, and things like that. Um, and uh, we have not done that much research yet. There are some other people that we're connected to. Um, we do have a director of research, a gentleman who works at Harvard, Dr. Sapir Singhalsa. Um, and so we have a page on our website where we're trying to sort of consolidate and share uh, the limited research that's been done on Kalini Yoga so far. Um, and that, to me, is a, an area I want to focus on and do more. And then you also are offering online classes as well? Yeah, um, that, that's been very recent since COVID. Um, we have a, a, s several offerings um, for um, teacher trainers. Some are for teachers and some for the general public. Uh, actually, there's a, some on the, the science, you know, uh, behind Kalini um, Yoga. Actually, there's one by Dr. Sapir Singh where he talks about that. Um, and uh, there's some on applying Kalini to um, shift our consciousness and apply that for social justice. So we've got um, embodying anti-racism, for example. Um, and we've got an, another one called uh, Difficult Conversations with a Black Yogini, right? So so we're, how do we use self-awareness um, to have a positive impact in the world? Um, and so a lot of different offerings, and we keep coming out with several more every month. And now you also have a free ebook called Essential Wellness Kit. What is this and how it can help people? Um, yeah, so we put that uh, up because of COVID, and it just has a, a series of Kalini Yoga sequences. Um, we call them Kriyas, like a, a set of exercises that go together and synergize, um, and meditations to be a resource for people, a, a toolkit um, with all the challenges people are facing. Um, if you're a total beginner, you probably need a teacher to you know, help you through it. But if you have some experience in Kalini Yoga, you can download that and um, use them to support you physically and mentally and emotionally with the stress and the keeping your immune system strong and things like that. So one thing I would say in terms of the Kundalini teacher training, a lot of people take the 10-month the course, what well, was 10 months for me, um, because they really want to just um, – have a way to be more dedicated to their practice and they may mm -hmm. never even become teachers, but it's really about um, joining a community and, you know, diving in and learning more and becoming more dedicated to your practice. And oftentimes it just helps to have more of a structure. So I would definitely, if anybody has been thinking about it or been wanting more um, just support in their own practice, maybe looking into Kundalini teacher training if you are interested in it. I definitely recommend the classes on your website. And so if you haven't tried Kundalini and are interested in trying something new and learning more, you can go to kundaliniresearchinstitute.org to find out more. So now I want to transition and talk about, you know, in the U.S. there seems to be a lot more anxiety and stress coming up because of the lack of clarity on what's happening and specifically, I'm noticing, um, you know, there's a lot around, will the schools open? You know, what's going to happen when they open? And so is there 
is there a tool, is there a breathing meditation that can support not only adults, but also children to release anxiety and stress, to be able to move through this next phase with more of a sense of peace instead of panic? If so, can you walk us through right now so that way our audience has a takeaway? Yeah, happy to. And um, the uh, focusing on our breath and controlling our breath is one of the most powerful ways we can shift our state. Um, I think we're all familiar with how when we are in an intense emotional state, it'll affect our breathing. Right? If you're really anxious, your breath will probably be shallow and fast. And if you're very calm and relaxed, it'll be deeper and slower. Well, it's a sort of a two-way street. If you can consciously control your breathing, you can also start to make shifts into your uh, emotional system. So, um, yeah, I have just a simple suggestion that people can do uh, by yourself or, or with your family. Uh, and it just takes, you know, three to five minutes. Um, and the, the key that we're going to do with it is paying attention to your breath, right? So the mind, you said the monkey mind, yeah, we all have that and our mind will tend to wander. If you notice that, you just want to just bring it back and focus on the breath. And what we'll do is we'll just sort of inhale deeply, slow and calm through your nose, just filling your lungs as much as you can. And then in a very relaxed way, you'll hold the breath. Maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds, if you can hold it that long. If you're doing it with children, right, it can be just five seconds or shorter, right? But you want to gently hold the breath in, and then you exhale. We're going to exhale all the way out. And here the key is you really want to empty your lungs. So you got to really kind of pull your belly in and up. Empty. Push all the air out of your lungs. And then try to stay very relaxed with the breath out. Now, oftentimes this is a little bit more challenging because you, know, you want to, sometimes your body is saying, oh, no, I need the oxygen. But you can keep your face relaxed, your shoulders relaxed, and hold the breath out. Or again, if you can, all the way up to 15 or 20 seconds. But stay concentrated on the breath and how is your you know, lungs and the upper chest area feeling while you hold it in and out. And then you just continue. So you're going to inhale smoothly, calmly, hold it in, exhale smoothly and calmly all the way out and hold it out. So that's the breath. And then we uh, um, put our hands in a certain posture to um, help strengthen our heart and also helps balance the nervous system. So uh, what you'll do is you'll take your left hand and put it in front of your chest, you know, a few inches away with the palm facing your center of your chest. Thumb is up. Right? And then your right hand goes along the back of the left hand. So uh, the right palm touching the back of your left hand. And then the two thumbs will touch. Right? So both thumbs are kind of pointing mostly upward, yelling, angled toward each other so they can touch. Shoulders are relaxed, but the elbows are pointing out to the side. And you'll close your eyes almost all the way down. You can keep them open a crack. A little light comes in. And then let's just do it for a, a couple of iterations together, okay? So you can do it together. So inhale deeply and completely through your nose. And then just calmly hold it. Just hold the still. Shoulders relaxed. No tension in your face. Feel how your chest feels. And then through your nose, calmly and completely exhale. Push out that last little bit and hold. 
in. Your stomach will stay in probably, but try to relax everything else. Be calm, still, concentrated. Inhale. Great, hold. Relax the shoulders, no tension. Exhale, through your nose, all the way out. Very calm, hold it out. All the breath is out. Hold still. Body is calm and mind is calm. Concentrate on the upper chest. And then let the breath come in smoothly and completely. Great. Hold the breath in. Smoothly exhale through your nose again. Empty the lungs completely and hold your breath out. Just be gently focusing on your breath. You don't need to fight with your mind. You do enough of that through the rest of the day. Gently bring it back if it wanders. Inhale. Hold. This is our last breath. We'll hold it in here. Hold it out one more time. We're almost done. Stay very still and calm. Exhale all the breath out. Hold it out. Focus in the upper chest area. Beneath or underneath the palms. Great, then inhale. Exhale. Inhale, you can stretch your arms up and shake them out a little bit. And then relax. Thank you. That was incredible. Do you, are you teaching online at all? I am not. No, I. I'm spending all my time uh, trying to run the company. And You're, um, you just have such an essence of calmness and peace that uh, that just is amazing. And so thank you so much for um, moving us through that breathing experience. Uh, and I'm going to encourage all of you who are listening to begin practicing this breathing meditation daily. And if you have a significant other or children, then include them in on it. Add it to your daily activities. Call it your daily activity joy list. Make it fun. Before you eat dinner, take a moment as a family to get in sync with your breath. You can smell the delicious food while then shifting into the gratitude of your breath and being able to connect into your centeredness. And then you'll be able to move into the gratitude of the feast after connecting into your breath. Just slow down the process of needing to rush and shift from doing to being by practicing getting in tune with your breath. And you can always, too, encourage your children to brush their teeth teeth, and then use the awesome smelling breath to practice this quick breathing meditation. The more you practice as a family, 
the more the energy of calm can be present for all of you. Thank you so much, Amrit, for joining us. Satnam. And to everyone, feel free again to listen to this often as you feel you needed to be supported to continue being in practice. And remember, there's nothing more important than your health and well-being to take care, to love yourself while navigating this new terrain. Remember to regularly assess how you're feeling, tune in with yourself, and ask what you need to support yourself. And if you can, meditate regularly. And if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at inspiringyou.co. And here is my disclaimer. I am not a licensed therapist, but I have experienced a lot in my life. And I love learning different tools and sharing them. So thank you so much for being here with us today. May peace be with you and much love, light, gratitude, and be well, everyone.